Welcome to Season 2 of the Inclusive School Spotlight podcast series brought to you by the Educating All Learners Alliance and the Center for Learner Equity. This season, we are talking about shifting mindsets. The Inclusive School Spotlight series highlights schools that are using innovative and promising practices to improve learning opportunities and outcomes for students with disabilities. I'm your host, Cashay Owens. We are excited to introduce you to Ruby Bridges Elementary School in Woodenville, Washington. Ruby Bridges enrolls about 500 students, 19% of whom are students with disabilities, and 18% come from homes where English is not the primary language. I am joined by Principal Kathy Davis to talk about the school's work of disrupting ableism and promoting inclusivity in its practices and among its staff. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for welcoming me into the conversation today. I'm super excited to talk with you. We are eager to learn about the background of Ruby Bridges Elementary School and all about the school's mission. Feel free to to tell us about your school. Wonderful. So Ruby Bridges Elementary just recently opened in September of 2020 after a year of planning and design. We were definitely impacted due to the pandemic, but I'm proud of how my team surmounted that to open a brand new school. We had a year of almost complete virtual learning, and then we moved into in-person schooling last year and now into our second year of in-person learning. So a little bit about our school. Our school mission is really intentionally around these components of learning, leadership, and belonging. So our school's vision statement is you are a learner, you are a leader, and you belong here, which is perfectly aligned with the school's namesake, Ruby Bridges, who took her first steps to integrate schools in um, about 60 years ago. It's been really interesting to open a school that's actively working to disrupt segregation and siloed practices in a school um, named after someone who did so much in the civil rights movement to do the same kind of integration work um, in the um, schools that she was attending and since that point um, has been supporting through her own civic um, action. So our focus at Ruby Bridges is really about ensuring that our students and our families feel like we thought of them when we made the school space. A lot of our work has been around centralizing belonging really placing tools and supports and elements that students need everywhere within the learning space. When we were building the school, one of the pieces of work that we really centered on with the um, staffing of the school was having our staff be in agreement as they transferred in to work at the school building about rethinking educational experiences and dismantling this idea of othering spaces that exist in schools. So many of us had experienced self-contained learning spaces, a lot of pullout instruction and supports that really didn't centralize general education access. So a lot of what we're doing every day at Ruby Bridges is really working to dismantle that, to get rid of the boxes altogether for our students. Um, So one of the things we're super proud of is that our school, you will not find a single space that is self-contained or pull out instruction for any student group, but you'll find lots of flexibility in the learning spaces. Um, And, you know, one of our other core practices is this idea that the belief systems, this belief in the competence of our students 
and the potential for them to be successful and contributing members of the school community. So a lot of work around working as a collective, not as an individual, and using systems and structures that can dismantle um, the barriers that exist for some students in the current educational spaces um, that exist not only in our school system out here in the Washington state area, but throughout um, school systems all over the nation. Wow, what a inspiring story. And it's so interesting to learn from a school who is still brand new. And, um, you know, there's really not a, a pre-pandemic for Ruby Bridges. You all were in the thick of it. And so um, what a great story to learn from. It sounds like the school was really designed intentionally to disrupt the othering or ableist mindsets that we so often see in educational spaces, especially when we're talking about kids with disabilities. Um, can you talk a bit about what examples or what we might see if we walked into the building? Um, what sort of structures do uh, would we expect in the school building to um, sort of demonstrate how you all disrupt those ableist mindsets? Absolutely. I will definitely say just to connect back with um, your mention of pre-pandemic, we've thought about that a little bit too. Just there was there was definitely no textbook to refer to for how to open a brand new inclusive school in the midst of a pandemic. But I think that sometimes really big disruptions to our practices and our beliefs, like what um, happened for all of us in the pandemic almost created the most fertile ground for each of us to just get outside of ourselves and what we thought we knew to try to make a new um, experience of knowing together. So in some respects, I, I think it might have been a bit of a gift for us um, to be so disrupted that the only way out was um, through and in, in, in doing that to do it differently. So um, in our school, definitely um, a lot of the things that are examples of practices that visitors see or that we centralize our work on are these high leverage inclusionary practices. So first and foremost, you can't do the work if the vision and values aren't aligned with that work. So that idea that our vision and values are really aligned to belonging for each and every student is um, infused in everything throughout the building. Um, if you were to do a learning walk and just be looking for symbols and looking for wall hangings, looking for spaces that um, really were set up for students with varying um, abilities or interests or strengths or challenges. I think you you see that really infused everywhere. I think some of the things that visitors and um, that our staff know matter for this work that are also high leverage is the idea of having an inclusive core master schedule and flexible service delivery. So when we we're first opening the building. One of our biggest areas of focus in our planning and preparation was in developing this core master schedule, um, really believing that much of what happens in schools, um, much of what we do in terms of our structures really either tell the story of our vision and values or they tell a different story. So we've set up our core master schedule to allow um, for the most access to general education opportunities for each one of our students. And there's a lot of cohesion. So if you walk around in different grade levels, you'll see grade levels that are working on the same content areas at the same times. You'll see in our ELA and math blocks, intervention and acceleration time periods that happen grade level 
wide and that allows for flexible service delivery. One of the things that I think people see most often and comment on is this idea of people working collaboratively together. So a lot of responsive teaching and planning because adults are all working within and among each other. And we've had people ask us if we have more people in our building because there's so many people moving about the building. And what I've shared is that oftentimes in our school communities, because of the self-contained and siloed practices that exist, our students who are furthest from educational justice become segregated from all learners or other learners. And so there are personnel and there are people with talents and gifts for working with students who are really segregated to working with only certain students and behind closed doors. And so at our building, that personnel is moving around the building. They're not behind closed doors. They're there for all students and for each student that might be within that particular classroom or grade level. One of the other things in terms of thinking about collaboration that I think you would see that is so essential for not only pulling this off the page, but maintaining it is this idea of collaborative planning and um, co-teaching or co-instructing students. Um, So if you were to come by on a Wednesday, our collaborative planning sessions happen. And during those times, our certificated staff Perhaps I have a grade level where I'll have general education teachers for that grade level. I'll have my multilingual services teacher. I'll have special education certs and related services all meeting for 45 minutes and talking about instruction and really thinking in that meeting about what barriers might exist for students accessing core instruction. And that's just so necessary. The time is necessary but also that co-establishment of what is core and what is most important for all students has been some of the most powerful work that the team has started to do, um, I think, with more ease and um, with more comfort this year than even what we were able to do um, before. And then lastly, I think that with all of that, not only what you're seeing students doing together in learning spaces, but also the adults that are supporting them, I think what resonates is that in that movement, in that creation of community, that everyone is a part of the learning community, that no one is in a classroom as a guest. No one is sidelined or added to a classroom. They're considered an essential part of the community. And that really changes the tone and um, the tenor of what happens for learning within that community when there's this recognition and knowledge that you belong as an individual contributor to the community. And it's an invitation that existed from the the moment that the school year started, not an invitation that is tied to any sort of parameters, which I think is so powerful, not only um, for our students, but we're learning for the staff that work with students as well. Right. I'm hearing just this really strong theme of the collective and the community and sort of nobody left behind, which I think is just so important when we're talking about all things inclusion. And of course, we know that, you know, collectives and communities are built of individuals. And so I'm curious, how do you cultivate an inclusive and anti-ableist mindset amongst your staff? And are there any specific practices that you have found that really help engage them? It's such important work, and I feel like it can't be underscored enough that the work that we're doing as grownups in relationship in our building 
is central to the work that we do with students. The two really can't be separated. Um, I think a core tenant of the work that we're doing in supporting staff through inclusionary practices is really recognizing that transformation is ongoing. It's really about that active state of being, of learning, of changing. And we have to be constantly in our work of disrupting systems. We can't um, let ourselves get to a space of thinking we have it figured out or we've checked off some you know, maybe core element of inclusionary practices or inclusionary mindset. And that means we've arrived and we don't need to be um, kind of centering that in all things. What we've done this year in professional development is really centering anti-ableist practices and mindsets because we realize that that work around beliefs is so important, but tying belief to action is also really essential. The actions really are what intersects and shows up for students. If we are only working on our beliefs and um, we find ourselves in spaces where people are talking about having good intentions, but bad impacts, that's really dangerous for students. Um, So I think that a lot of what we've been doing around using um, texts, like we've used Cobb and Crown Apples, Belonging Through a Culture of Dignity, and starting to push on ourselves to interrogate our barrier beliefs, to really think about ways that we might be showing up um, in our work with each other or with students that exhibit barrier beliefs, even when we say um, we mean all students or when we say that we want belonging, um, to really look for places where maybe that isn't the through line and to fix it or to work together to understand the why for that. I think the other piece um, that's been really central um, in my work with staff is really being clear about intention Um, For us, and I say this all the time with my staff, um, that there are no neutral actions. If we're not actively disrupting injustice, then somehow um, in our work, we're enabling it. So um, when we were opening the building, a lot of the work to figure out what the next right thing was and working with particular students or student groups was to think about um, whether or not our actions or decisions would be um, connected to or aligned with our vision. Is is this action or decision that we're making um, with or on behalf of the student going to demonstrate that we believe the student's a learner? Does this create a space for an opportunity for the student to be a leader? Um, At what point nor in what ways can we demonstrate that um, this student is given not only access or opportunity, but truly the experience of belonging? So with the staff this year, a lot of that reflection coming into the school year, now that we have an operational building and staff have a variety of experiences in their work, we've been thinking about how how do we know our students, how do we know each other, um, and really trying to center um, connection, um, really trying to connect to the stories, not only of our students, but of each other. Um, It's been interesting to think about how important connection and story is in that collaborative work as a staff and how the tighter our connection is and the the more clear we are about knowing each other and knowing our whys and and our stories that have brought us into the educational space can make us a stronger team that can work um, on behalf of students. And I think that we're trying this year to really weave our stories together more tightly um, to really 
ask more questions and be really intentionally curious um, to think more about what the best is that could happen, not the worst, you know, and just really try to lean into what might be uncomfortable or to try something new um, and to hopefully surprise ourselves um, with our successful outcomes for students. Right, right. I I hear just so much intentionality and reflection, which I think in our fast-paced environment, it can be really hard to make time for those things. Um, but, you know, I think it, this this school is a great example of um, the success that can, can come from really taking time to be intentional and reflect. Um, so thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and I will just end here with, we know that Ruby Bridges Elementary School is one of Washington State's inclusionary practice demonstration sites. And as a demonstration site, um, other educators from around the state have the opportunity to come visit your school and observe the inclusive practices in action. Um, what have you learned from your experience as a principal of a site like this? And what advice do you most often find yourself giving out to, to your peers? Oh my goodness, there are so many takeaways from our experience working with other schools. Um, I think my most powerful realization in the journey as a demo site is really connected to the same things that we know about why inclusive learning is the right thing to be doing. Um, adults come into our demonst demonstration site to connect and to learn. And um, what we know is that human beings learn in community. They come into the community, they have stories and skills, they've got experiences. And that's what the demo site visits offer us is a chance to really experience and connect together, to be in spaces together where maybe we're validated in that moment, or maybe we're challenged or we're inspired, or if we get lucky enough, we experience all of that in, in one visit. Um, and so I think our guests often talk about that intersection of getting an opportunity to have tangible ideas that they can take away, but also to be challenged that maybe they're challenged around barrier beliefs they might've had, or that they're connected with someone else who they um, recognize or realize is sort of on that same journey that they're in, and they're able to then connect and support each other through it. As far as advice, I think that one of the things that I have shared most often with especially educational leaders that have come to our demo site visits is that we really don't have it figured out yet, um, and we're not going to because we're, we're in this constant state of transformation and growth, and that's really healthy. Um, but that being in the messy middle of work is something you cannot get to if you don't start. And so um, being able to, as a leader, kind of step back and anchor your work in what is good in the setting that you already work in or lead within and to find those places where you can foster belonging um, and take that next right move is so important. And I think that that ultimately connects to the advice um, or really the reflection I find myself in most often, which is that we really do have a moral imperative to ensure that our students are educated in communities of belonging. And we cannot do that without believing and recognizing that each student already is whole and brilliant and not broken. Um, one of the thoughts that has been coursing through my brain um, in the last month um, since EL Magazine article by Jamila Dugan came out was um, her question of what does a schooling experience look like where students are seen as fully capable to chase their dreams? I think that this question and the reflection is key 
in our system, but that we also have a responsibility to ask ourselves if and when we see spaces where the dreams and aspirations of our students are shifting from each and every learner to every learner except for. Our students really deserve a chance to dream and I feel like they need us to hold space for them to be able to dream in their school community. And the work as a demo site has given each of us an opportunity to help support um, the wildest dreams and ambitions of our students, but also to hold space for the possibility that exists in other learning spaces um, of the schools and the districts that come to connect with and learn alongside us. So it's exciting and it's powerful um, and it's messy and it's the exact right work for each of us to be doing. Right. Leaving us all with a aspirational and inspirational message, I think. And it's never too often to be reminded um, of the importance of making room for that dreaming. So thank you so much for joining us today, Kathy, and sharing all your really important and um, I think powerful insights for our listeners. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a joy. Um, I hope you have a wonderful afternoon. Thanks, you too. And a thank you to our listeners for checking out the Inclusive Schools Spotlight series. This podcast is brought to you by the Educating All Learners Alliance and the Center for Learner Equity. For more resources and practical approaches that educators can use to enhance opportunities and outcomes for students with disabilities, check out the Educating All Learners Alliance resource library by visiting educatingalllearners.org and clicking the resources tab. To learn more about the work of the Center for Learner Equity, check out centerforlearnerequity.org. Thanks and tune in to the other episodes in the series.